Good morning. Thank you again, Worship Team. A little embarrassed this morning. A little matchy, matchy with everyone. I, I see we wore the same T-shirts. It's a bit awkward. Didn't expect so many of us would bring the same shirts and wear it to camp. Who knew? Uh, we are. There's. A, I want to correct a bit of a typo in the booklet. Uh, session four is what we're on right now, and it says beloved. It should say righteous. Righteous is the the topic that we're talking about right now. Also, the verses got a bit mismatched between this one and the next one. We're on Romans 3.24 and Romans 4.4-5. We're going to focus our time on those those two passages. Sorry for the typo. But we're talking today, this morning, about righteous. Righteous is the title. Let us read together. Romans chapter 3, I'll start in verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And if you could just jump down to chapter 4, verse 4, it says there, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes, In him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Let us pray together. Dear God, once more, again this morning, we appeal to you for your assistance, for your help. We ask God that you would open our eyes and hearts to receive this word and to see how amazing and how glorious it is, and that we would draw near to you in faith that your name, that Christ, would be exalted. We ask for your help during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just to recap a bit of where we've come from and where we are this morning. So far, we've said that fear of man is a thing that we all do, and we've said that it's not just being afraid of people, It's a bigger concept. It's, we might use the words honor, awe, reverence, and this is how we treat other people. We we trust other people. We honor other people. We seek to please other people rather than God. People are our idol, is another way you could say fear of man. We've We've also said that a result of believing in the gospel is that we should be rooted in God's love 
not in other people's opinions. This is the way out of the fear of man, not to worry about their opinions of us, to, but to be deeply rooted in God's love for us in the gospel. And so we, we said we've been asking the wrong question. When we think about what other people think of us, we're asking the wrong question. We should ask, what does God think of us? And to answer that question, what does God think of us? We've said two things so far, that he created us. We are created in his image. He defines us, who we are, what we do. Uh, what he thinks is what, is what matters. The second answer we saw was that we are corrupt. We are corrupt by nature. I really didn't want to end on that one at night. You know, that was a downer. <laughs> and, but this is where we get to go out of the pit of last night, of corruption. We come here to what we're talking about today. But that is what we are in reality by nature. Uh, we, humanity that is as a whole, as well as each of us as individuals, have spurned God's love and exchanged his glory for images, um, things in the creation. We've loved and served and sought after the wrong things, not after God. And so we are lost. Uh, we're made in his image, but we are under his wrath. But, of course, that, that is not the end of the story or of our retreats. And what I want to say, what I want to start out with this morning is to say that this corruption that we talked about yesterday is one aspect of looking at sin. You might say that it's, it's horizontal. It's the corruption is the horizontal. If we look at ourselves and other people, we see corruption. But the vertical aspects of that, it, we might call guilt. Corruption leaves us guilty. Um, and so if, if you were to think of, uh, for example, uh, think of like a kid playing at the beach, a small child somewhere, you know, in the ages of like 13 to 16, you know, young still. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, someone younger than that. And they're playing in the sand. They're having a great time building sandcastles. And then the parents say, it's time to go. It's time to go home. And the kid, he's just not happy about this. He throws an absolute fit. Throws a fit. He's like on the ground in the sand. Uh, gets just is an absolute mess. Gets sand all over his face, in his ears, like all, all the places that sand should not be. And you might say at that moment that this child is corrupt. He has entered into a corrupt state. He's just a mess. He has made his life measurably worse at that point of time. Um, from clean and happy to angry and messy. That, that's, that's corruption. But you know what's worse than corruption? Guilt. Because he has also disobeyed his parents, and he's in a big deal of trouble at this point in time for throwing a fit and not obeying and going home. And so that's what we're talking about, corruption and guilt. Corruption is what happened to us. We spurned God's love. We exchanged his glory for images. And this is deeply connected, right, to our topic of fear of man. This is what we do. Uh, but it's also left us guilty. And I want us to start our time by talking about how our sin affected God before we get to, before we get to the remedy. But the main, the main point for this morning is that in Jesus, God sees us as truly righteous. In Jesus, God sees us as truly, really righteous. Okay, we're talking about our standing before God. And the, and the first thing is guilt. So if we could look at Romans 3 again, 
I didn't read this section, but let's take a look at verse 9. Starting from Romans 3, 9, he says, What then? Are we Jews better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those that are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. For Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Sobering, Another sobering passage just summarizes all of what chapter 1 and 2 of Romans have been saying about just the net result of our corruption is that we are, we are guilty. We are guilty. We deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. And God's wrath is not just a passing feeling. It's not like, oh, I'm really angry with you right now, but I'm just going to go off into a corner and like cool down. Uh, uh, You may have done that before. We get angry about stuff, small things. They took my toy. They ate the last cookie or whatever. And we get frustrated about a thing. We go off to the side and we... We calm down, um, but that's not what we should think of when we think of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is his settled disposition, a settled disposition against sin. God is, has a hatred towards sin. He cannot not care about sin, about our offense towards him, about the way that we offend and hurt one another, the way we dishonor the image of God created in us. And he, he hates sin, and he is patiently waiting for one day when he will judge the world. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says there, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He says, you think that you're cool with God because fire is not pouring out like it was on Sodom today. But God is being patient. God is waiting. Don't mistake his patience for something else. He's being patient and, and desiring that you would repent and that you would turn to him. But because one day, one day he says he is going to pour out his wrath and it's not going to be pretty. Verse six, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Sobering words. 
But jump back to chapter 3, verse 19. We read that one just a bit ago. It says, every mouth will be stopped. And when I, when I hear this verse, when I read this verse, I think of a courtroom. I think the picture is of a courtroom where like the evidence has been all laid out against us, against one of us, against all of us. And uh, God presents the charges against us, and every mouth is quiet. Every mouth is just stopped. And he's talking about Israel, and we've talked about Israel a few times, but Israel... Right, most of or the Old Testament is all Israel, and it's not a, a fun story. It's their repeated failure to obey. And sometimes we read the Old Testament, we're like, man, those silly Israelites, if only it was me. <laughs> but it's a picture of what we would all do, right? And the, the idea here is that the law that was given to Israel was that if even they could not obey, with such a clear presentation of who God was, with all of the law to tell them what was right and wrong, if even then they still could not obey. He says the whole world is therefore accountable to God. It speaks to all of us. We are all accountable to God. All of our mouths should be just quiet, stopped in God's presence. Today, though, we have lots to say, don't we? People have lots to say back to God today. As a parent, again, I hear these things frequently. He started it. It was her fault. I didn't want to. I'm just this way. This is just how I am. Or why does God even get to judge us anyway? He made me this way, didn't he? What business does he have to save some and not others? That doesn't sound very fair. Hell's a really long time. We say things like this now in our defense, don't we? People say these things. But one day, there will come a day when we will stand, you will stand in God's presence. And all of those excuses, all those things that we say to defend ourselves will just be gone. <laughs> our mouths will just be shut. We will see who God is. We will see who we are. And we will have nothing to say in our defense. We will acknowledge our guilt. And every mouth will say, he's right. He's right. Verse 20, he says, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The only thing that writing down commandments gives us is clarity about how we've broken those commandments. Through the law came the knowledge that we're, we are sinners. And it said the word justify. That's an important word. We're going to talk about that word today, justification. I know you guys know what this means sitting under, under Luke's teaching. I know you guys have heard this a lot in church, probably. But justification is an important word. And it means, as a refresher, it means to be declared righteous. To be justified is to be declared righteous. Going back to that last cookie that was on the table. There's a cookie that was on the plate. And the whole family accuses you of eating the last cookie. And you didn't. It was the dog. You vehemently deny it. I did not eat the last cookie. Okay? It was the dog. Everyone's like, okay, sure. It was the dog. Uh, and then somehow the dog confessed. 
that it <laughs> ate the cookie, what would you be at that moment? Justified. You'd be happy because you would be justified. You didn't. You didn't. You weren't forgiven because you didn't do anything wrong. You were justified. Okay, declared to be righteous because you you had no guilt. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't know if you've seen Peter Rabbit's. Peter Rabbit's a good one. Um, there's the whole thing at the end, right, with the explosives. Hope this is not a spoiler, but it's a, you should watch it anyway. Uh, there's the explosives and the destroying of the tree. And McGregor, the young McGregor, was accused of exploding the rabbit home. Um, and then it turned out that it was Peter Rabbit. And he, like, does the thing with the paws and says, like, I was the one that exploded the tree. Uh, at that moment, the young McGregor was justified. He was declared, he had a part in it too, okay, it's a bit complicated, but he was justified. He was declared righteous. He did not explode the explosives. He was not guilty. Okay, does that make sense? And this is the problem. We are guilty. We have sinned against God. We are not righteous in God's sight. And there's nothing we can do to change that. God is holy. God must judge. God can't just say, you know what? Don't worry about it. I love you. You can go free. Right? A judge that just pardons all of his friends and his family is called a corrupt judge. That's not a good judge. God can't just like let us pass. And this is the main difference between Christianity and, and pretty much every other religion. Every other religion says, follow, follow this path. Do these things. Pray these prayers. God will probably accept you one day. Christianity says, there's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could do. We are, we are guilty. Okay, that's the first part. Guilty. Our sin has left us guilty in God's sight. And so we ask, well, if God always judges sin... God always judges sin, and I'm a sinner, then that makes me a goner, right? I, I have no hope. But you do have hope, because God stepped in to do something. So that's the second part, righteous through Jesus. We are righteous through Jesus. I'm going to read verse 24 again. It says, we are justified, same word, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a few other big words in there, but this is a fantastic verse. This is like one of the great summits, peaks of the Bible. It's glorious. We're just going to fly over and see a few things about it. But it says we are justified. And you say, what? I'm confused. You just said we're not justified. There's no way we can be justified in God's sight. Did he change his mind? Like what, what's going on here? It says we are justified. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And there it is. That's what's different. That's the thing that's different. That's what God did to change our status. Verse 25, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. Another big word. Think sacrifice. Sacrifice to take away the wrath of God. That's propitiation. He put Jesus forward as a, as a sacrifice by his blood to be received by us by faith. Okay? So God put forward Jesus to suffer the penalty of God's wrath for us. That's what changed. We were guilty, but then God did something. What did he do? He sent Jesus. Jesus suffered 
for us. God treated Jesus, hear this, God treated Jesus like he did everything that we did. He treated Jesus like he had a corrupt mind, heart, deeds. God treated Jesus like he was a rebellious child. God treated Jesus like he was an angry father. God treated Jesus like he was a liar, like he was a thief, like he was a child abuser. God treated Jesus like he was a drug dealer, a murderer, an adulterer, sexually immoral. God treated Jesus like he did all the rotten things that humanity has done throughout our history. Jesus suffered the penalty of death that we deserved. He, and he took on humanity for this express purpose. I don't, a lot of you were at the, the church retreat about a week and a half ago, and we heard that God, God himself cannot suffer. He is eternal. He took on humanity for the purpose of being able to suffer so that he could die for us. And we swap places with him. Jesus stands in our place, and then we get to stand in Jesus' place. It's a two-way street. Not only does Jesus get treated like he did all of our sin, we then get treated like we did everything that he did right. We go from being in detention to the honor roll. Not just out of detention, not like, okay, I'll forgive you, now try again, but the honor roll. We are, we are right in God's sight. A couple times in this passage, Romans 3, 21 to 26, it talks about righteousness like it's a thing, sort of, <laughs> that God gives to us. It's righteousness that comes to us as a gift through faith. Because of what Jesus did. This is Jesus' perfect righteousness gets credited to our account. It was his, and then he gives it to us. John Piper said it once this way. It's like I say to my son, uh, you need to clean your room before school, or you can't go watch the game tonight. He goes to school. Guess what? He didn't clean his room. He comes home. Uh, during the day, as he's at school, I see that his room is dirty. So I, oh man, okay, so I clean his room for him. He comes home, and he realizes what he has done. His room is not clean, and he cannot go to the game. And if he humbly accepts that and apologizes and says, you know what, I was wrong. I should not have, I should have cleaned my room. I, I won't go to the game. I, I could then say to him, well, it turns out your room actually is clean because I cleaned it for you. I will credit that clean room to your account and treat you as though you have a clean room, which you do. Go ahead and go to the game. God takes Jesus' obedience and he credits it to us as though we were the ones that did it. And this redeems us. This rescues us. This is the essence of what God did to rescue us. This is the gospel. That Jesus took our sin and we get his righteousness. This is the second great exchange, right? The first one was that we exchanged his glory for images. And now he exchanges our sin 
for Jesus' righteousness. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He was not a sinner. But he became sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we, believers, might become the righteousness of God. So when God sees us, he sees Jesus's perfect righteousness. Is that amazing? When God sees us, how does God, what does God think of me? Righteous. He thinks of Matt Houck as righteous, even though I am not. It's remarkable. This is absolutely a free gift. And you might ask, well, how do I, how do I receive this free gift? That's the next part. Righteous by faith. We are righteous through Jesus, but we are also righteous by faith. Uh, verse 22. Let's read that again. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He says it again in verse 25. It is to be received by faith. He goes on in, in verse 28. We hold that the one is justified by faith. And he goes on in chapter 4 to talk more about what it means to receive it by faith. He says it again and again that it is by faith. By faith. You cannot continue to hold on to your guilt. Some people respond to this and say, wow, I am a sinner. You're right. I'm just going to keep on flogging myself, like keep on flogging myself until I feel better about it. Uh, until I stop feeling bad about what I've done. I'm just going to beat myself up. And then maybe my sin will go away. Some people say, like, I feel bad that Jesus had to do that for me. I'll make it up to you, God. I'll pay back that debt. You can't. You cannot. There's a song, Rock of Ages. It says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. If my zeal had no end and I could spend my entire life serving God, that wouldn't be enough. My tears could forever flow in sorrow over my sin. That wouldn't atone for my sin. Only God can rescue us. It is a free gift. Free gift. We receive it only and entirely by faith. I mentioned a bit ago, we, we lived in Taiwan for a bit. And an interesting thing I found uh, about the culture there, a bit differently from America, was it's the difficult thing about sharing the gospel with people in Taiwan was the concept of faith. I'm oh, sorry, of grace. Grace was difficult. In America, people say things like, of course God should forgive me. That's his job. Uh, but there, people would say, grace was the offensive thing. They're like, what? Jesus took my place? Like, no, thank you. I'll atone for my own sin. I got myself here, I'll, I'll get myself out. And if it means hell, then so be it. Uh, grace was offensive. Um, some of you may feel this way. That grace is a difficult concept. That you, you want to work your way out. You want to earn your way out. But you can't, is the problem. If you try to climb that ladder, you'll never, you'll never get out. It's infinitely high. The only way is to trust entirely in Jesus. And you know what? God designed it this way. God designed salvation this way 
so that when we stand before him, we have nothing to say. We have nothing to boast of. Look at chapter 3, verse 27. Paul says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Boasting is excluded because of grace, because of faith, because we come on our knees or we don't come at all. We want to come with our hands or no, our head like held high. We want to say, I got here by myself. I earned this. I made the right choices. I deserve this. And we don't like to admit maybe that we have no hope outside of grace. But God wants us to stand not bargaining. There's no bargain. It's either grace or merit. Those are your choices. So righteousness is the gift. It was paid for by the, by the blood of Jesus. And it is received by faith. That's salvation. We get a right standing with God as a gift. We, it, it was paid for by the blood of Jesus. And we receive it by faith. Okay? Look with me at, verse, at chapter 4 again. I want to touch on Romans 4, 4. I love these verses. 4 and 5. It says, To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Does anyone here have a job? I know some people have jobs. It's great. Uh, imagine you get a job. You put in your hours. You work hard. At the end of two weeks, your boss hands you that lovely white envelope um, with your paycheck inside. And how do you respond? Do you say, oh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> what is it? What's inside? I want to open it and find out. That's so nice of you. No. You say, can I have my paycheck, please? I put in my time. Please pay me. Uh, it, that paycheck is yours. Right? It's owed to you. You you earned it. You deserve it. You can demand it. That's what verse 4 is saying. Uh, to the one who works, his wages are counted not as a gift, but as his due. It's due to you. And his point is that that is not how justification works. That is not how salvation works. It's not like we work... We put in our time, we go to church, we give the offering, we sing songs, we preach sermons, and then we can one day demand a paycheck from God and say, I'll have my due, please. I'd like to get into heaven now. That's not how it works. How does it work? Verse 5. To the one who does not work, but believes, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Imagine, again, you get a job, you show up to work, but then you just sit down all day. <laughs> there are those people, aren't there? They just sit down all day. Sometimes they don't even show up. And then two weeks later, the paycheck comes and they get paid anyway. Well, would you call that a gift? <laughs> That is a gift. That's not, that's not due. And that's what he's saying. To the one who does not work, that's who salvation is for. People who have done no work, zero. No work. It's not like, we should not think of ourselves as like, well, I got 99% of the way there, and like Jesus helped me over the finish line. We had zero work. Uh, zero work. That's justification. 
This is the radical claim of Christianity, the scandal, you might say, of Christianity, that God calls ungodly people righteous. God calls us righteous when we are ungodly. How can he do this? How can he do that? Because of Jesus, because of the redemption that is in Jesus, which brings us to 3.26 again. It was to show his righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier. He remains just. He is righteous in calling an ungodly person righteous. Does that make sense? Do you see the conflict? It makes sense because of what Jesus did. And you might say, well, I know that already. What does that have to do with what we're talking about here? What does that have to do with the fear of man? I just want to close with a few points uh, that we are righteous, really. This is the last section. Really righteous. We're talking about what does God think of me? What does God think of me? And we said that corrupt is not really the right answer anymore. If we've come to know Christ, we were corrupt, but it's not true anymore. There are two categories of people. People who have sin on their own shoulders and people who have cast their sin upon Christ's shoulders, who have trusted in him. And that if, if we have put our faith in Christ, he sees us as righteous. He really does. Really righteous. And there's a few things I want us to think about. First of all, we have no more shame. Because he sees us as righteous, there is no more shame. God has removed our shame from us entirely. Before knowing Christ, we may have hid our sin. Confession wasn't really a thing we did. Uh, I can remember a number of times I said, I'm sorry, Mom, I did this thing. But what I meant was, I'm sorry that you found me doing this thing, and I'm going to find a different way to do it next time so that you can't, don't catch me. That wasn't a confession. Uh, that wasn't humility. Uh, that, was, that was me of evading. Um, but now... We, we confess our sins openly because we have nothing to hide. All of those sins were nailed to the cross. There's no more condemnation for, for those who have believed in Christ. I think of at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, we have the Apostle Peter, right? Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, said, I, I don't know the guy. Like, I'm not with him. I don't, I've never seen him before in my life. Um, and then afterwards, Jesus comes back to him. And how does Jesus treat him? Jesus say, now look at you. Can you believe what you've done? Go sit in the corner. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He entrusts the church to, Jesus, to, to Peter. How amazing is that? He says, care for my people, Peter. Absolute grace. He sees him as righteous. First John 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. And the greatest shame, by the way, is not the shame that we experience right now. The greatest shame is going to be shame experienced on the last day. Shame we experience in the presence of God. Not the shame that people try to heap on us remembering our former sins, but being ashamed in God's presence. Um, but by putting our hope in Christ, in his life and death for us, that's a thing that will never put
put us to shame. Romans 5, 5 says that we will never, never be put to shame. Also, we have nothing to earn. We have nothing to earn. God approves of you. God approves of you in Christ. There's nothing that you can do to become more accepted by him. There's nothing that you can do to become less accepted by him. You might be thinking right now, as my heart was tempted to when I was writing this, to jump straight to, but, you know, there's still God things, there's still things that God wants you to do. There's still, if we believe in him, then we're supposed to live a certain way, right? But, uh, that's true, but none of that stuff has anything to do with your confidence before God. He doesn't approve of, of everything you do, we might be tempted to say. You guys went through the Pilgrim's Progress, and it reminded me of Moses. Remember? Moses finds Christian on the road and just starts, like, beating up Christian. Do you remember? That's what the law does. It just wants to beat you to a pulp. But grace says what? God approves of you in Christ. He sees you as righteous. That's remarkable. The truth is, many Christians are so performance-driven. My heart is so bent towards performance. So I have to do certain things and be a certain way, and then he'll approve of me. The picture I have often of, have, have often of God is he's got like a clipboard. He's like standing back. It's like, hey, he did it again. Making notes about me, disapproving. He's always disapproving, I think. He's probably frustrated with me. Or uh, you might instead think, like, you know, he got a pretty good one when he got me. <laughs> I've got a lot to give to the church, you know. We, we, both of those things on both sides is basically what we might call moralism. Moralism. You, you live your life thinking that the Christian life is basically rules. And you're either a happy moralist or you're a sad moralist. But either way, you're a moralist. You think you're doing well or you think you're doing bad. It's the same condition. You think that life is based on performance. But the gospel says none of that. Uh, the gospel does neither. Okay? And so we need to put our trust in God. Put our, our trust in him and what he says about us. We have been accepted by God. We don't need to prove ourselves. We don't need to measure up. We don't need to perform uh, we have a right standing with God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Romans 8, 33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who? Who can bring any charge that will stick? Who can accuse any of God's people of being guilty? Keep going. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. He says there is no charge that any 
individual or the devil or anyone can bring against you that will stand in the court of heaven because the king who is seated has declared you righteous because Jesus who died didn't stay dead he's alive and he's there he's in God's presence and he's saying no his sins are paid for he stands forever sits forever as the proof of our acceptance before God who can undo what God has said? Nobody. Nobody. And so rest in this, brothers and sisters. Rest in this for your whole life. You have nothing to earn. You have nothing to prove. Your life is a free gift of grace. He loves you. He approves of you as you put your faith in him. You are secure in his love. He doesn't call you to work for a paycheck. He actually calls you to something harder. He says, you've received freely, so freely give. But we have nothing to prove. We also have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear from God. We've already just read. We are, uh, there's no condemnation. Chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, since uh, verse, uh, verse 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him. If God has already declared us righteous, then there is no possible way. It's not like he's saved a little bit of wrath for us. Like I'm still waiting, I'm going to see. He has declared us righteous and it is final and forever. Okay? John 5, 24 has said, Jesus said, if you believe in him, you have passed already from death into life. Amen. Already. It's, it's done in God's eyes. You have nothing to fear from God. He has no wrath left for you. You have nothing to fear from man. What can man do to you when you are secure in God's hands? What can man do to you? Nothing. Luke, you can jot down Luke 12, 5. We didn't get a chance to read that one yesterday. But Jesus said, I'll tell you who to fear. Don't fear other people that can only kill you. Fear God. Um, but here, in, we're already in Romans 8. Let's read that one instead. Romans 8, 31. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33 um, who shall, we already read that one, verse 34, verse 35, there it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't like those things. <laughs> I'm sort of afraid of those things, nakedness, danger, sword. Let's avoid those things. Killed all the day long sounds like danger. But he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
So people can obviously harm us in life, right? People can hurt us. Sickness can hurt us. Things can happen. 2 Corinthians 4 says those are momentary, light afflictions compared to an eternal weight of glory. Momentary versus eternal and light versus weighty forever and ever. Dangers are real, but they are minuscule compared to eternity. And eternity is what matters, and nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. And so what does God what does God think of me? Not corrupt anymore. Righteous. No shame to bear, because Jesus took it all. Nothing to earn, because Jesus earned it for you. Nothing to fear, because Jesus lives forever, and your life is in his hands. And Jesus, all of our fears are removed. So rest in him. Choose to find your comfort, your meaning, your identity in him. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your amazing, unfathomable grace that you would say to ungodly people like us that we are righteous, but we know it's not because of anything in us, anything we have done, anything we could possibly do, but because of Jesus, all that he has done, accomplished, completed, and he stands forever as the proof of our acceptance before you. So God, I pray that you would grant to everyone in this room that confidence to, to know how you see them, the ability to trust in Jesus and to, to reach forward and receive this gift. I ask God that you would do that in all of our hearts here tonight, today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.